0: Hello, I'm Abram Banning.
1: And I'm Joanne Diaz.
0: And this is Poetry for All.
1: And today we're delighted to welcome Hale Liza Gafori. Hale Liza Gafori has translated a beautiful collection of poems by Rumi titled Gold, which was just published last year by New York Review of Books Press. And today she is going to guide us through Rumi's poem that begins with the first line, Colorless, nameless, free. Halle, would you be willing to read this poem for us?
2: Of course, I'm happy to. Here is ghazal number 1759. Oh, che birang <speaking> o binishan ke manam. Kaib minam mara chonan ke manam. Gofti asrar dar miyan avar. Kumian andar in miyan ke manam. کیشود این روان من ساکن این چونین ساکن روان که منم بحر من گشت گشتم در خیش بولجب بحر بیکران که منم این جهان و آن جهان مرا متلم که این دو گم شد در آن جهان که منم فارغ سودم و زیان چو ادم تورف بی سود و بی زیان که منم گفتم ای جان تو عین مایی گفت این چه باد در این عیان که منم گفتم آنی به گفتهای خموش در زبان نامداست است آن که منم گفتم ان در زبان چون دن آمد اینت گویای بی زبان که منم می شدم در فنا چو مه بی پا این بی پای پادوان که منم بانگ آمد چه می دوی بنگر در چونین ظاهر نهان که منم شمس تبریز را چو دیدم من نادر بحر و گنج و کان که منم
0: and now, can you give us a sense of what this is? Uh, what you've done with the translation—colorless, nameless, free?
2: Sure, sure. And I will say to my Persian friends who might be listening, I know I have a little bit of a Jersey accent. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <amazing. That's> right. <laughs> I was born here, the yep. Jersey. So, okay. So here is the translation. Now, one thing I just want to say is that this is a conversation. So you will hear me sort of alter voice slightly, perhaps, or you'll, you'll be able to sense the conversation. Colorless, nameless, free. That's what I am. When will I see myself as I am? Put mystery in the middle. Where is the middle in the middle I am? and this silver tongue stream in me when will it grow still enough to know the streaming stillness i am the ocean i am drowned in the ocean i am shoreless boundless wonderful don't look for me in this world or that world both worlds are lost in the world i am a luminous void beyond profit and loss Wonder abounds beyond fear of loss and lust for gain. My soul, you are my true eyes. What are eyes in the invisible, visible I am? Then what do I call you? Silence, words can't name what I am. Then praise the wordless speaker I am. I race through emptiness, footless like the moon, Praise the footless runner I am. Why are you running to reach me? Settle in the placeless place I am. Settle in the nowhere everywhere I am. The moment I saw Shams of Tabriz, I saw the supreme sea, treasure and gold mine I am. Ah,
1: oh, that was great. <laughs> <laughs> My face is already hurting because I'm already, I just can't stop smiling. Oh, it just, it make, it's so beautiful. It makes me so happy to hear this poem in, in the original and in your amazing translation and to hear you uh, perform it with such exuberance, you know? Uh, and that's what brings me to Rumi and, of course, millions of others who love him so much. And I, I don't even know where to begin.
0: Let's start with who Rumi was.
2: Well, Rumi, first of all, is Jalaluddin Muhammad ibn Hussein Balhi, a.k.a. Molana, which is what we call him across the Middle East, or Mevlana in Turkey. This word Molana and Mevlana means our master, our sage. Mm. So he was very revered in his lifetime and for the last eight, 800 years. He was born in 1207. So he's he's, he's had fans for a long time. <laughs> And Rumi is a name that came after, actually after his death, and it means from Rum, which is Anatolia, which is, of course, where present-day Turkey is and where he spent much of his life. But he was actually born in either Balkh or Vakhsh, which is present-day Afghanistan, Uh, and since he was writing... 90, probably 98% of his poetry in Persian, and there were no uh, national borders back then. He's very clearly a Persian poet. Uh, They say that uh, poets belong to languages, not to nations. Mm. And there weren't nation states back back then anyway, but a lot of nations claim him. And what was it like for you to translate
1: this and other poems in this collection?
2: it it was an incredibly engaging process i mean it, it kind of sucked me in and i i really thoroughly enjoy it you know he he says eat my poems like egyptian bread mm. and i feel that you know tra- when you translate you you must eat the poems and as i've said before you know wake with the poems ride the train with the poems you know hike with the poems and let these me- the sort of messages and images of the poem work through you. You know, I also spent a lot of time reading the poems aloud with my mother. That's been an incredible process. Her her grandmother was a storyteller. So some of the backstories that are in Rumi's poems or Molana's poems she heard as a child. So it's kind of this intergenerational, Mm. intergenerational passing. And it felt like some kind of strange homecoming, felt incredibly nourishing to be with his poems. I was spending a lot of time uh, working on the book Gold during the pandemic. And I felt very lucky to have this sort of what he often names this shoreless ocean. And I did feel like that, you know, the shoreless ocean being this kind of soul energy or this kind of capacious love, mm-hmm. you know, this love, what is it doing to us? It's untying knots when he says, "Dar hmm. at the doorway to emptiness, all knots come loose. You know, this, Emptiness being what? The mystical Persian and Eastern, the Buddhists speak of it too. This emptiness, this space beyond narrative, beyond words, beyond the spinning chatter in the mind when we achieve some kind of silence, perhaps through a meditative practice. Anyway, meeting that and feeling knots untie.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: It's been a really great experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: If you have to live with a poet for a long time to translate them, this seems like a pretty good one to live with. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you mentioned this word gazal that you pass uh-huh. back and forth with your mother. And of course, this is a, a, a gazal. Can you uh, begin to explain to our listeners what, what is that? What, what kind of poem is that? What are, what's its form? What's its nature? Where it come from? What's it doing?
2: Yeah, a gazal is, is, a, is a string of couplets. And there is a refrain. So at the end of each couplet, we have a repeated word or phrase. In this one, it's manam, 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 manam. So when I recited the Persian, you may have noticed that. The first couplet will repeat the word or phrase at the end of each line. So it's Oh, che birang obineshon kemanam, ke bebinam maro chenon kemanam. Right? So we have that AA. Then we have B A, C A, D A. Mm. So then, you know, the next line is gufti as gufti asroar darmion over. There it is again. Yeah. There it is again. Right. Yeah. So um, so that's sort of the form. And the idea is that each of these couplets are complete entities within themselves. And in other words, you could pluck one of these couplets out and it could be a little poem. You could pluck three out and it could be a poem. And there's a leaping quality between couplets. So we might be talking about uh, in one poem, for instance, the, the the repeating word is laughter. And we might look at laughter from all these different angles and all these different uh, dimensions of laughter. And they're not related. It's not linear. It's not a narrative. It's just we're gonna leap around and and you know gazelle it's gazelle is etymolo- etymologically related to gazelle which leaps so there's that I
1: believe there. it was Ralph Waldo Emerson when he first encountered this poetic form he criticized it for the very thing that you're describing saying it doesn't connect it's not co it's not <laughs> cohesive it's uh-huh. I think he might have described it as separate pearls on one necklace uh, right yes and and yes. but but actually. Separate pearls on a necklace turn out to be beautiful. Yes, yes. And I love when you read the poem to us, uh, you prepared us by saying, you know, you're going to hear my voice shift a bit because there's a dialogue happening here. Could you say more about that dialogue that's unfolding in this poem?
2: Yes, yes. This poem seems to me very clearly to be a conversation between soul and self. So in Persian, there's this word and Arabic, there's a word nafs. Nafs is sometimes equated with the ego that we want to shed. But actually, nafs is a sort of spectrum from the constricted, stifled ego to the expansive soul. This for the Sufi mystics really expanding beyond egoic the egoic self nafs and it's called so it's a specific type of nafs it's the stifled nafs this is one of the goals of Sufi mysticism is to move from greed to generosity mm-hmm. and so this poem is a discussion between the soul and the self and the soul begins by saying colorless. Nameless, free—that's what I am. Now, this namelessness thing is really important. Was really important to Rumi. You know, at the end of the ghazals, the typical thing to do is to address yourself. The poet will say, "Hafez," blah blah blah, or "Attar," blah blah blah. It's also a way of signing the poem. Mm-hmm. But Rumi never put his own name. He put Shams of Tabriz, or he put Hamush, which means silence, or he put Salahuddin, one of his other friends. So the idea was he wanted to be, he wanted to actually experience the state of binami, namelessness. Mm -hmm. He felt, because also he was very famous, you know, he was a famous preacher before he became a poet. And so he wanted to sort of put that aside around the age of 38 when Shams of Tabriz came into his life and said, hey, come with me. Rumi Rumi thought, let me walk this talk now. Mm -hmm. Let me put this big turban, which was a sign of prestige and this robe aside and the fame aside. And he stopped preaching. He passed that baton on. And went into these samma deep listening gatherings, and that's when he started to write poetry, uh, specifically when Shams left town. His first ghazals were love letters to Shams calling him back. Mm. So this throwing dogma to the side and embracing bewilderment, embracing the question mark, is very central to this philosophy. Put mystery in the middle carries the philosophy of this Sufism,
1: uh, What you're saying really helps me understand how Sufism informs his poetics and his whole way of being. And you, know, as I hear you talking, you know, I'm looking at. Uh, there's one line that each time I've read your translation of this poem, this this passage really stays with me don't look for me in this world or that world. Both worlds are lost in the world I am. A luminous void beyond profit and loss. Wonder abounds beyond fear of loss and lust for gain. And I'm like, oh my God. And I don't know, I know I'm not the first person to say this probably, but I can't help but think of Walt Whitman, right? Mm. If you want me again, look for me under your boots. You will hardly know who I am or what I mean, but I shall be good health to you nevertheless and filter and Fiber your blood, you know?
2: So beautiful, yes. And I would love those two guys to have a (laughs) conversation together. Oh, me too. They would have been great friends. (laughs) Yeah. Great friends. Because of that
1: openness and that desire for connection, for love, beyond the
2: limits that we often impose in this world, Yes. I grew up hearing my father recite this poetry while we lived in Fort Lee, New Jersey, and we lived in an apartment building and i was looking out on the hudson river and you know one of the first heartbreaks of my life was knowing how polluted this river was you know 1.3 pounds of pcbs was dumped into this river why because of profit and the bottom line because it was more expensive to be responsible and you know dispose of these wastes in a responsible manner so seeing ourselves as interconnected seeing ourselves as part of a whole and caring for each other. This is so central to mysticism.
0: There, There is the content of this poetry, which is calling us to a kind of mysticism and expressing it in a certain kind of way. But then you, as a translator, also have to carry over some of the music of the poetry. So when I look at these, these lines that we've just been talking about, for example, I'm hearing the L's come back, right? Lost, luminous, lost, lost, lust. Um, I'm hearing a kind of rhythm and repetition. Both worlds are lost in the world I am. A luminous void beyond profit and loss. Wonder abounds beyond fear of loss and lust Mm -hmm. for gain. I mean, they're beautiful lines. And so I I, I wonder how you navigate as a translator. Are you carrying over a certain uh, music that you hear? Are you carrying over alliteration that you hear? Are you carrying over repetition? What are you trying to do to make the music uh, speak the mysticism?
2: Sometimes it is possible to recreate or mimic the wordplay in the translation. Um, for instance, if we look at this couplet, You can hear the words, ravon, so ken, and then so ken so ravan means flowing streaming like a river it also means fluent or silver-tongued which of course rumi was very eloquent and very talkative and saken means quiet still so in the couplet he's using these words in different places of course in in the sentences and so here it is in english And this silver-tongued stream in me, when will it grow still enough to know the streaming stillness I am? So you hear the double stream streaming and still stillness.
0: One of the things that struck me from something you were saying earlier about the namelessness of this soul and trying to get away from the ego is if this is a conversation between soul and self, there are all these moments when the the self keeps trying to pin down the soul, right? My soul, you are my true eyes. And then the soul soul responds, What are eyes? In the invisible, visible I am. And then and then the self says, Okay, fine. Then what do I call you? And the soul says, silence. <laughs> Words can't name what I am. You know, sometimes we talk about poets knowing the limits of language more than almost any other kind of, of user of language. Because they work with words as their medium, they know the limits of those words and what they cannot capture. And when then then you get a poet like Rumi, who's especially dwelling in that in that reality because of the the sort of mystical experience and what do we get but a whole bunch of words that are essentially generated by the desire to name and experience a kind of silence
2: yeah <laughs> yeah yeah he's trying to usher us into wordlessness with words yeah. right he's using words to usher us into wordlessness that's very true very true and that's one of the reasons that he ends so many of his poems with kamush which means basically turn off, it means turn it off. Turn off the tongue, turn off the mind, silence.
1: Silence, yes. Opening, yes. But also movement and connection. So it it feels like it's a both and where in some poems it's turn off, you know, the the ego, turn off all of the ways that you want to limit yourself. Hmm. But elsewhere... Um, He's asking for connection, engagement, whirling action, right? And so I'm thinking of whirling dervishes, of course, and Sama, which, of course, Shams of Tabriz uh, introduced him to. It wasn't a part of his life until midlife, and, and that became a part of his poetic practice and is a tradition that continues to this day, right? Whirling dervishes, they are like a UNESCO world heritage. That's a protected practice where like it's acknowledged as this culturally significant. And if you watch the dance of the whirling dervish, One hand is facing down toward earth, the other is facing up toward heaven, right? And that movement of just the idea of the circle, of the movement of the body just going and going, and that that could get you into a meditative state. So yes to silence, but also yes to movement
2: and thinking about the body. How do you think about all that? Yes, well, I think that movement, you know, that is a, a in a way, a, a demanding meditative practice, only in the in the sense that it involves you know, motor coordination, a movement, a repetitive movement, and so, and it requires a, a focus. And um, when I've been success, when I've successfully whirled, meaning for longer than five minutes it's when I get very, very peaceful. You drop into this place and then you could whirl for hours. It it asks you, it invites you into silence. You can only really do yeah. it if you sort of calm down, it seems to me, for that long. He then became what he would say a, a conduit and he started to hear... The booming voice of the heavens, the roar of fate, the ruckus the muse makes, you know, in this state of whirling and the silent mind, the poetry started coming through. And sometimes he was spontaneously composing while whirling.
0: You, you spoke earlier about how a lot of poets in a, in a ghazal would put their own name at the very end. And, and, and Rumi does not do that. He, he, instead, he puts somebody else's name. But what is the function of that yes. last stanza? And how does it work? We still get the repetition. We still get the refrain. Yeah. We still end the whole poem on I am. But we we seem to shift. We, if we have this dialogue between soul and self, then suddenly at the very end, we get this. The moment I saw Shams of Tabriz, I saw the supreme sea treasure and gold mine I am.
2: This is the moment when soul and self are coming together. And this is the moment of integration where, ah, I am all of these things and I will, you know, slip, Back and forth between, you know, soul and ego while hopefully moving towards soul more and more and more, becoming more and more expansive as, as my life goes on. In this moment of allowing ourselves both to be the idiosyncratic self that we are and the soul energy, which is the unified, interconnected energy that we are. in this moment when we see both and we allow one to inform the other and we allow the soul energy to come into the self and really sort of support it. Uh, we, we then are have access to the gold mine within us. And that
1: Shams of Tabriz, again, that that friendship that they had and the ways that Shams tr- uh, challenged Rumi, to re-see the world in a whole other way. Yes. It, 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 I love that, that he acknowledges that connection and that debt and just how transformative that was for him. So I love how the poem reaches beyond. Just one speaker, you know, and it it really relies on Shams being there at the conclusion of the poem. That's beautiful.
2: Yes, yes. And Shams was in a way his portal to the divine. You know, and I think Dante, Beatrice was a kind of window into the divine Mm -hmm. for Dante. But this kind of love between two human beings. Sometimes opens us to the divine energy. And when that person is so connected to something that we feel is so mm-hmm. important to us and so beautiful mm-hmm. and expansive, it's like, ah, oh, you are the doorway to the sun, you know, he tells Shams, you yeah. are my portal to revelation. So the friend there, the human friend, bringing us to the divine is really important. To- There is a line in there that I think is worth mentioning too, since we were looking at some of the lines when the soul says, as, as Abram, you mentioned um, words, words can't name what I am. And then the self comes back and says, oh, oh, you know, then praise the wordless speaker I am. You know, it's kind of like, I got this. Okay, okay, I got it. I get it. You know, and then and then it says, yeah. oh, and also, you know, praise the footless runner I am. I race through emptiness, footless like the moon. You know, this is so Funny. I think there's such a element of comedy there and yeah. adorableness of, of <laughs> self, you know, this, just sort of wanting to say, Oh, look at me. Look what I've accomplished. And, and then the soul answers, yeah, yeah. Why are you running? <laughs> to reach me. <laughs> nah, settle. Settle in the placeless place I am, settle in the nowhere, everywhere I am.
0: I love that. I love that back and forth. And that, and also just this sense that yeah. humor too oh, could God. be a part of mysticism because sometimes we think of mysticism as so oh, weighty oh. and ponderous and significant, and you have to enter into the spirit <laughs> of it and so on. And here you get this humorless bag. Oh, I'm racing without feet to meet you. And, and this, yeah. why are you even running? Yeah. Settle, settle down. And
2: and actually you bring up <laughs> a very important point regarding laughter because There are poems dedicated to laughter, and laughter is it. We know we've finally got this when we're laughing, I think. You know, because that's when the knots have untied.
0: With all that we've learned, would you be willing to read this poem for us once again?
2: Here is Ghazal number 1759 by Molana Rumi. آه چه بیرنگ بی رنگ و بینشان که منم کی ببینم مرا چنان که منم گفتی اسرار در میان آور کو میان آن در این میان که منم کی شود این روان من ساکن این چونین ساکن روان که منم بحر من غرق گشتم در خیش بلعجب بحر بیکران که منم این جهان و آن جهان مرا مطلب که این دو گم شد در آن جهان که منم فارغ سودم و زیان تو ادم طرف بی سود و بیزیان که منم گفتم ای جان تو این مایی گفت این چه در این عیان که منم؟ گفتم آنی به گفتهای خموش در زبان نامده است آن که منم. گفتم اندر زبان چو در نامد اینت گویای بی زبان که منم. می شدم در فنا چو مح بی پا اینت بی پای پادوان که منم. Bongo mad, Chimmy Davy, Bengar Darchoninzo Hiranahon, Kemanam Shamsa Tabrizro Chodidam Man No Derebahro Ganjo Khan, Kemanam. Okay, and the, and the English said the soul, Colorless, nameless, free. That's what I am. When will I see myself as I am? Put mystery in the middle. Where is the middle in the middle I am? And this silver tongue stream in me, when will it grow still enough to know the streaming stillness I am? The ocean I am, drowned in the ocean I am, shoreless, boundless, wonderful. Don't look for me in this world or that world. Both worlds are lost in the world I am. A luminous void beyond profit and loss. Wonder abounds beyond fear of loss and lust for gain. Ah, my soul, you are my true eyes. What are eyes in the invisible visible I am? Then what do I call you? Silence. Silence. Words can't name what I am. Then praise the wordless speaker I am. I race through emptiness, footless like the moon. Praise the footless runner I am. Why are you running? To reach me? Settle in the placeless place I am. Settle in the nowhere everywhere I am. The moment I saw Shams of Tabriz, I saw the supreme sea, treasure, and gold mine I am.
1: Amazing.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. So good. Thank you, Halle, for
2: joining us today. My pleasure. Thank yeah. you so much for your interest in this. And I, I enjoyed myself very much.
0: <laughs> to learn more about Rumi, you can visit our website at at Fireside.fm, And you can find Hala Liza Gafori's translations of Rumi's poetry into English in gold, published by the New York Review of Books. And you can visit her website at halaliza.com. That's H-A-L-E-H-L-I-Z-A.com.
1: And please remember to subscribe to Poetry for All wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.
0: Thank you for listening.